Welcome to the Player Engage podcast, where we dive into the biggest challenges, technologies, trends, and best practices for creating unforgettable player experiences. Player Engage is brought to you as a collaboration between Keyword Studios and HelpShift. Here is your host, Greg Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Player Engage podcast. Greg here. Today, we're joined by Ivan Zagara from Social Point. He's had a lot of roles at Social Point. I'm excited to learn about it and learn about all the different roles that he's been in. Uh, and they recently released a new game, Top Troops, which I'm a player of and I'm excited to talk about. Uh, before we dig into things, Ivan, first off, thank you for joining me. Uh, you care to say a few things about yourself and your background? Well, first, uh, thanks, Greg, for inviting me. I'm very excited to have time to uh, introduce myself to you today and also speak about the uh, game that I've been developing the last couple of years. So I joined Social Point uh, nine years and a half ago so it's been a long journey all the way in doing product uh, and when i joined the company we were just launching monster legends our second franchise that is still alive and and contributing to the pnl of the studio right so that was already nine years ago and since then i uh, i've basically you know had four main stages here uh, the first uh, year i was uh, doing helping the team to scale uh, monster legends then i used these uh, learnings you know to go a couple of years to uh, new games to try to release something I failed first time that I fail on new games uh, then I went back to live games to use everything that I learned on new games and apply it back to live games um, that was between 2017 to 2019 it was very interesting because I was I was actually leading Monster Legends for a couple of years and that was a very very interesting moment I mean the game was doing well in good shape uh, we had some interesting success and growth and then right before uh, COVID changed our, our lives for uh, at least for a year. Um, I, I, I got a call from the founders of the company that, that explained me that they, uh, there was an opportunity on, on new games and I decided to join new games early on 2020. And this is what I've been doing the last uh, three years and until and for the first year I did it. Uh, I did a small uh, strategy rebound for the studio, and then for the next two years, I focused on the game that we will talk uh, right now. So that's all about me, my nine, my nine years at Social Point. Prior to this, I was 10 years doing product management for startups here in Barcelona, because product management is something that I really like to do. And my background is on computer science. So, I mean, technology is also something that I really enjoy talking to tech folks and understanding and, and, and building bridges between technology and, and business, right? That's why... I found a home in, in product management. That's all about me. That's awesome. And it's a ton there to unpack. And things that we're not going to get to on this podcast, but things that are just kind of strikes to me. First of all, being almost at a company for 10 years, I feel like is unheard of these days. And that's amazing. And I, I'm just looking at the different titles that you had. And that's probably part of the reason why you're still there. You're getting to expand your background. Uh, you were also there for the acquisition by Take-Two. Uh, which is an interesting one because a lot of these AAA publishers ended up purchasing a lot of mobile companies because they had trouble with mobile, particularly on their own. And there was a lot of mobile companies out there, the Social Point. Uh, and that's fascinating to me. And to your point, right, you had you had Monster Legends when you started. You had Dragon City before you got there. So there's a few nice IPs under your belt. And now with Top Troops, hopefully that's going to be a third one that we, we can add to that bucket. The first thing I want to go to is what you just said, though, which is kind of not about this, is about your background in product management. Do you think your background in product management... Well, this is kind of a two-point question. Did, this, did that help you get to where you are today? And do you think you need that video game background in order to get started if you have product management skills? That, 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 that's a very good question. I never, prior to joining Social Point, I never thought about myself or joining the video game industry, right? Uh, I, was, I was a gamer, but a lightweight gamer. 
but I was a hardcore PM guy, right? So then uh, Social Point was growing very fast here in Barcelona. Actually, I would say that it was the first pure mobile free-to-play studio that heavily invested in Barcelona. And one of the main ecosystem or many of the drivers of the current ecosystem and Barcelona scene that we have right now, that it's quite big with other large studios. And, and I joined very early. And I thought, hey, I'm coming from other startups. Uh, I have uh, uh, a large playbook of uh, PM skill set. I'm hardcore on product management. Well, this gaming thing won't be that complex, right? I was immensely wrong because gaming is such a different beast compared to other industries that even though some of the, let's say, foundations are similar when it comes to management, there are things that are inherently very, very different. Even, even if you think about games, I mean, verticals or audiences are radically different. I mean, it's not the same type of PM that you do, you know, if you build a casual game, that if you build a midcore game, that if you build a shooter, that if you build a MOBA. So there's all these nuances in terms of audiences, tasters, systems. I mean, make your PM work. I mean, there's a part of it's horizontal and it's, it can be applied, but there's many different that you need to learn and you can only do it by working on these categories, right? Also, life cycle, it's very, life, I mean, the, the different life cycles of the product, which is basically build, grow, and mature, it also push you to construct or develop a different skill set. So all this, it's very exciting. And actually, you know, as you said before, that's one of the reasons why I've been nine years and, and I see myself working at least for, you know, a few years at Social Point because every year the work changes for many reasons. You work on different challenges, audiences, the industry change and also push you, you know, to get up to speed. So even though, you know, a lot of things I could pour it from my previous work, I need to learn a ton of stuff, you know, that it was very specific, you know, to the uh, industry. Yeah, I feel like that's almost kind of what happens after you graduate college, right? If you go to college for accounting, you learn accounting by the books, and then you go to your first accounting firm, and they teach you, this is how we do accounting. And it's maybe not what you learned before. So so you got the product management kind of skill set, but then you went into a new vertical that was kind of completely different and did things differently, but you still knew your your basics, and you can kind of go from there. Gaming, gaming though, it's, it's even more specific because the, the major difference in PM for gaming is that on other, I mean, it's entertainment. And on entertainment, you are not solving an actual problem. I mean, you are enabling others to invest spare time, essentially, right? So you need to set a product that first delight players, get hooked them, right? Create artificial needs because they, they don't exist, right? You are not solving an actual problem and then solve those needs, right? So it's actually... It, it has this emotional component Then in other industries, you don't have it, that it's very unique, right? Because again, I mean, in traditional industries or verticals, PM, you can sit down in front of a customer, you know, and tell them, hey, what's your problem? What's your pain point? Can you tell me? And he's going to be able to pretty much help you understand and frame the problem, right? And the type of value that you can provide for him. But in gaming, that's actually way more challenging. <laughs> that's one of the main differences. It's interesting you say that, and it makes a lot of sense. It's funny, though, the types of games players play end up being almost what they basically do for work anyway, just in a game setting, whether it be a simulator where you're simming, hey, I'm going to go through the life of a sim and build a house and work and do all this stuff. Like, 
your a lot of people's escapes from their real life is basically living their real life in a video game or, or that type of game. And I think it's kind of funny and it is an escape. And I, I love that kind of challenge that you can kind of go into that and think about, hey, ha- how do we get people and draw people to keep coming back here and keep doing this stuff? Yeah, that's 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 clearly one of the challenges, no? I mean, actually, gaming is interesting because the competitors, it's not only gaming, but it's also Netflix. Yeah. It's also books. Yeah, competing for players' spare time, you know what I mean? So you need to delight them and enjoy them, which is yeah. very interesting. <laughs> and it's interesting, I mean, we can go on and on about this, right? It's also interesting that you see some of the games that are created now, especially by companies like Zynga, right, are, are uh, appeal to millennials and boomers right like the older crowds that would typically have their eyeballs on tv or or film right You're, they're starting to draw more people to gaming because gaming's starting to embrace crowds no matter what age no matter what gender no matter what you do like people want to just play games understanding your audience an audience is a company a composition of essentially two things demographics uh age and male female distribution but also tastes understanding this it's crucial to set up your creative vision for success. You need to really understand the type of product that you are doing. And people, sometimes also people, I think that tends to overthink this, right? When they when they say, yes, you need to understand your audience, they think about big, large service, but sometimes things are way easier. You know what I mean? Really identify what's your audience, what are their taste motivations, and your game needs to fulfill those. <laughs> Yeah. And it's very different. I mean, if you are making a game for female plus 45, it's very different the type of, uh, you know, uh, creative direction, UI, UX, monetization schemes that you need to use versus if you are doing a game for millennials or essentially uh, kids, right? So you need to have these into account in your creative direction because otherwise you're, you're, set, you're, you're, you're set up for failure. <laughs> I'm just taking a note here because I want to ask you a question and relate this to top troops, right? But before I do, I want to tell actually, you one of the we, we, we can later down the road, we can, or later during the podcast, I can explain you about how has this influenced, you know, some of the mistakes that we have done in the past. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think mistakes are the most important part of all this, right? Because you learn and you, you, you pick yourself up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but one of the most, one of the reasons I'm most excited to talk to you is, is that I think a dream of mine, and maybe it's not, but it is is to one day lead a studio and be a studio head and get to create games. And one of my always worries is that I can't code. And I speak to a lot of studio heads that are developers and engineers, and they're hands down in the game. And I'm going to make an assumption about you, and you can you can yell at me afterwards. But looking at your background, and let's just go through the titles that you had at Social Point. You had product lead, director of product, VP of product, head of studio. What is your coding skill level? And is that, is that necessary to become a head of studio? Like what, what, it comes down to what is the day-to-day of a head of studio? And what are those backgrounds that you need? So the bottom line here is that you don't need coding skills to uh, uh, be uh, successful in the, in the product vertical at all. Okay, actually, at Social Point, we have PMs coming from very different backgrounds. And I would say that most of them are not coming from tech backgrounds. Okay? It can help that you have deep tech knowledge in some areas, but it's not a decision or a critical factor. There are other things that are way more important. I mean, execution, very important skill. Business understanding, very important skill. Analytical mindset, creative problem solving, just not the same of being innovative, okay? That's a different thing, creative problem solving. Those are skills that are way more relevant than you understanding how the tech stack is built on. For this, 
it's always better that you partner with a great technical director or uh, developer lead or whoever title you want to say and rely all the tech stack and all the tech decisions you know on this person and you focus on uh, other things so it's not going to be an issue if you don't have uh, developer skills to become pm neither i would say here at social point nor at any other uh, let's say companies uh, out there another thing is that if you are technical product manager okay but that's the first story <laughs> so no no okay good to know so it's really about the the I don't want to call them soft skills, right? But all those other things, like can you follow through? You you keep up? You or all all those skills kind of lead up to where you can be and how you can make it in the in the industry, for lack of better words. Mm-hmm. Unless you want to be an engineer and developer, and then you probably need yeah. to code. Yeah. yeah. So let, let's go back to kind of what we were just talking about. Let's talk about the demographics and, and um, can you talk about? I guess how long ago did the idea for Top Troops come up? Yeah. So Top Troops idea came out came during uh, late 2020, and it actually came as a result of a prototype that we're uh, internally building and testing, you know, in the market that didn't work, right? So uh, there was there was uh, there was a couple of important factors here that, that that explain how did we started it with Top Troops. First, in 2020, we were rebooting our new game strategy, and I was part of this decision. And we take we take several decisions. First, we align the whole company and do an ambition. Okay, what type of ambition do we have for a new games? By ambition, I mean a we are building games here. We are building here games that we want one billion revenue lifetime, hundred million or fifty million, right? So aligning everyone on ambition that it must be realistic with your capabilities, with your people, with everyone. This led ourselves to what type of KPIs we want to achieve. Okay, and that was one part of the story. The second part of the story is, okay, what type of development process do I want to follow? What type of stages we want to follow? And for us, it was very clear that what we wanted to do is ship as fast as possible things out there to start testing because we're not doing IP-based games and therefore, you know, we have this flexibility, okay? And for us, it was very important to test initially three concepts, three things. Early marketability, how marketable the idea was so kind of what's the eCPI how more or less what's going to be the CPI that we're going to have with this concept the second one is product market fit early product market fit how our realisticness look like I'm saying about day zero day one day two day three retention so how good you know is clicking the code phase the good action phase you know into our audience and the third one is purchase intent that was it was very clear for us that even though we know that a game success explains because you have day 30 plus good metrics. It was very important that we started by something really solid from the get-go. And that's why from the process point of view, what we always said is it was reach market as fast as possible. Okay, that was the mantra. And the third, it was portfolio strategy. And here, what we tried to do, it was, okay, let's build games that we have capabilities in the studio that are relatively familiar to, and also that we can reuse the staff. And when I say staff, I mean knowledge, but also tech, right, and other things. So we can reach the market faster, right? That was important. And then that was the first thing. The second thing that we did, I was in charge, you know, in this overall strategy, I was in charge of the mid-core space. And this is when two things happened. First, we tested this concept, top troops, 
before, you know, the way that we uh, see right now. And we saw early metrics, but lack of purchase intent and also no good day seven plus metrics, right? And the team also was very strong. So I chat with the initial team and they were very strong and they had a clear idea on how to not pivot the concept, but expand it. Which parts did they think from the original prototype that were working and what others you know, need to fix it? And we started working on this. And around seven months later, we were able to release our first prototype in the market to again test early marketability, early retention up to day three, when I say early retention and purchase of intent and build from there. And it was very interesting. I mean, we combined a team that it was very senior, very small, that in seven, eight months, taking starting from a prototype that it was already uh, uh, working, uh, evolve it into uh, what we uh, know right now, that it's uh, top troops. So that's when it all started. And the idea, we started discussing about the idea. It was on uh, late 2020. We set up the team on first quarter of 2021. And the first version that we released with the current top troops format that you see right now in the game, that it's merge build and battle, uh, uh, character evolution, and, uh, and and city building, we launched it in during July, August 2021. So that was a journey. I'm sorry, I'm here. I'm taking a bunch of notes here because I find a lot of this stuff fascinating here. So for, first question I have on that is, you know, in late 2020, the idea came up. Is that like, I'm just picturing this in my head. Is it in a conference room? You guys are all just sitting around, kind of talking about what you create. Is it around a lunch table where you guys are just spitballing ideas? Uh, obviously, you looked at kind of the assets that you have, I assume, yes. and, and past it value. Was a, it was a combination of three things. No? First, again, we started from a prototype that we were testing already live. And from the prototype, we, we said, okay, what what is working from this one? Because we have some good metrics on this prototype, right? And we thought that the code action phase, these massive battles, you know, were good. Also, the theme and the IP that we picked was also good because we wanted something accessible, right, for the players out there. We always had in mind that we want an accessible experience, and it was a combination of essentially the following things, theme, UI, UX, and system design. Okay, we always have those three in mind. So we had clear the ingredients that we thought from the first try that worked. We look at the market and also, it was important for us to build a product that it was marketable from many angles. And we have, you know, many ways to market the product because even in 2021, you could already ambition or 2020, you could already ambition that uh, the marketing landscape was going to be really hard and you need not only deep pockets, but also, you know, other tools to break through. And also we look at the, uh, uh, on our capabilities, internal ones and the three Use, combining the three of them, we had this idea on, hey, let's use this action phase and build these other pillars around with this team addressed for this audience using these technologies, right? And let's try to release as fast as possible and see you know, how the audience react and build from there, okay? So that was the process. So from there, right, it came then, beautiful. The idea came up, now we're going to ship as fast as possible. Yes. In late 2021, you launched... V1, let's call it a top troops, where you start testing out kind of these, these marketability. You saw yeah, that was on, on August. On August, we, we hit the market on August. First, very first version that we uh, uh, ship it out there. Now, when you say hit the market, right, is that anyone in the world can download it? What type of testing is happening? No, we, we, we selected a few countries and we put the version out there and we start doing some UA, very low skill UA. 
uh, to understand how early metrics and early users, you know, were reacting to the product. So from there, you, let's, I know a lot of the Southeast Asian countries are, are, are a lot of game testing goes on there. We it's, skip back in the days, maybe right now we could be something different, but back in the days, we skip all sort of uh, tier three countries in some sort of technical stages because we learned in the past that, um, uh, I mean, usually the products right now that, that we can launch from the get-go are relatively stable from the technical point of view. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have never killed a game because, you know, of tech issues. I mean, all the games that we've killed, you know, have been because the metrics were wrong, right? So we wanted to get metrics as fast as possible. And we wanted to get metrics from markets as close as possible to what we consider that were going to be our markets, especially on marketability, because it's not the same, you know, doing trying to understand your ECPIs right on Philippines than doing it already on Canada, Australia, UK, you know, and other tier eight countries, right? So we were, we, we went to the geos as soon as possible to understand or to at least, let's say, exclude the market setup, you know, from the results that we were seeing. That was the mindset back in the days. Again, we could do it also because we're not doing an IP. So right. we also, we also uh, it was clear for us that we were going to be under a very long soft launch and we we're comfortable about that. But this is very different. There are other companies that work very different and then they put themselves a max of six months of soft lunch, right? But that was not our case. Our case, it was more, okay, let's risk things one by one, reaching market as fast as possible. Because our previous experiences is that the risking certain things internally, you can have a lot of positive, uh, uh, false positives. Yeah. I love the fact that, I mean, you're collecting these metrics and these metrics are important. And I think most companies probably realize that, but I don't know if A, they even know how to collect the metrics all the time, but monitoring these metrics during your, your soft launch is important. But are you also listening to customer feedback? Are you doing any sort of player surveys or is it all just, can you tell this from the data as it speak to you? The most important thing, it's always metrics, always metrics, but metrics alone does not explain the full picture. Usually you, data will tell you the what, but not the why. For the why, you need to talk to players. What happened with Top Troops, it was we were creating a game and the audience was inside of the building. So social pointers were some of the most engaged players at the beginning, as some of those were providing us the best feedback out of the game, right? We were lucky because Again, our demographics into a studio were quite close to the product that we're building, and that helped us a lot. On top of that, we were adding also feedback from players that were directly reaching because it was important. But metrics, it's the it's the single uh, truth for any project. Qualitative will help, but metrics, it's uh, it was our North Star always, right? The thing is that to build to select KPIs to work, build challenge, and North Star metrics, we use intensively this qualitative feedback, right, to get the whole loop. But again, for us, metrics, it was the king. And and and, and feedback, it was the queen. Do you compare these metrics to things like Dragon City or Monster Legends, or because they might be different types of games, is that not really fair? How did we select metrics, right? So that's a good question. So we did it with two main, we used two main levers here. One was, remember that I told you before that first thing that we did is aligning on ambition. A, what do we want for this game? 
you want to create a game that makes 50 million and it's a bit profitable, you know, on your one, we want 100 million, we want a 1 billion game, right? So this will lead to certain metrics, right? So the second thing that uh, we did when we had these metrics, and this is a numerical exercise, right? We benchmarked those versus internal benchmarks, Dragon CD, Monster Legends, right? But also external benchmarks. And at the beginning, we also had, again, our ambition and our KPIs to our reality. I mean, if it's social point uh, in the past, we had not capabilities to, let's say, uh, release a game that it was making 300 million on a yearly basis. Right now it's different, but if in the past, you know, we didn't have it, that was not an ambition that we put for ourselves from the get-go. So that's the way that we selected metrics, okay? One ambition was driving the metrics, and second one, when we have this set of metrics defined, which essentially it was, it was basically eCPI, estimated eCPIs, uh, retention, uh, LDB. Those are the three metrics that the only three that we care, right? And we have those, and we kind of ambition a certain UA budget, right, to generate the business size. We check all these with internal and external benchmarks, and when when all these, you know, made sense. And that was not a very complex exercise, so it was something that it was relatively fast to do. We had the goal set up, and all the team was working for this. Very cool. I can imagine this being very exciting, just seeing this whole thing, all the pieces of the puzzle coming together. I mean, it sounds like a kind of a dream come true, and just being able to see your vision being built. And you mentioned internal benchmarks and external benchmarks. When you're part of a company like Take-Two, are metrics shared between studios, right? You got Zynga, you got Nordia. So when you look externally, you can have access to uh, three types of metrics. So one is obviously uh, being part of a large family like Take-Two and Zynga. You have uh, a large portfolio of games that you can quickly you know, check your metrics. That's one. Second, uh, partners, platforms can also provide you uh, anonymized benchmarks which are quite useful to find gaps and help you understand, you know, how others are uh, performing. And the third one is uh, sometimes, I mean, uh, some metrics for some categories are shared publicly out there. But it's always the same. Again, you need to check and compare how does this fits into your ambition. Because the KPIs are radically different if you are trying to build a game that it generates 400 million, you know, on a yearly basis or 50 million on a yearly basis. The set right. of KPIs, it's, I mean, the KPIs will be the same, but the scale of those KPIs sure. will be radically different. Right. It's not fair to compare you to GTA or anything like that, because it's completely Whatever. different monster, different beast. Whatever. Even when you do it externally, you know what I mean? I mean, externally, you need to also understand the type of benchmark that you are using. It's very important to understand the, how the benchmark is configured if you are comparing yourself, you know, to external uh, uh, games. So you're building this game, you're launching it in soft launch, you're getting feedback, you're you're watching your metrics. Then on October 3rd, 2023, Top Troops launches. And I imagine that's an exciting day for everyone there, but that's also a busy day, right? It's time to start collecting real life metrics, not real life, but much greater scale metrics and, mm-hmm. and start hearing from your players. So, so take me through kind of, if you can, that 30, 60, 90 days, right? What, what's priority one in those days? What's priority two? How, how do you proceed? You mean when we were launched, right? Yeah. So the good thing is that the team was already set up for world launch many months before. So some of the, uh, the team is essentially structured with pods, right? 
uh, and each pod has a specific function, mission, it's, it's, it's competence complete, uh, they have KPIs, roadmap, et cetera, et cetera. But on top of these, we make sure that some pods were already working in what we say live game dynamics, right, rather than new game dynamics. So for some pods, it was literally not disruptive at all. It was just, okay, right now, instead of doing UA only on three, four countries, we are doing UA worldwide, right? So it was relatively smooth. But the thing that we focused the most on the first 30 days, it was essentially smooth operations, that everything was stable, that it was scaling properly, uh, that uh, customers were being were, uh, well-served, that were uh, supporting also functions, you know, were really plugged into at scale, you know, into the product, et cetera, et cetera. Then on day 60 and 90, when we ensure that, which is right now what we are doing, when we ensure that operations are already working and the tech is stable, right, and, and all supporting functions are plugged and are already performing at the level that we feel uh, confident, it's all about two things right now, product strategy. So how can we keep improving the KPIs uh, and second, it's growth. No, how can we uh, invest more marketing profitable into the game to make it bigger? It's all about these two right now. Yeah. And and the priority is always at least the game. It's not full finalized, and we have a wide array of things you know prepared on the next uh, twelve months. So for us, the main focus right now it's product strategy. No, uh, what do we do? How can we accelerate? What's the best thing composition to do it? Which features are we going to prioritize? Do we need to revisit the challenges that are fueling our hypotheses, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's, it's a lot about this. Have you had any major revelations in these first couple of months about the type of game that is things that you may want to, like, have you not, had? Not, not really. The, the, the big revelation that we had over the last two years when we were in soft launch was that at the beginning, so the game it has this merge component in. No, if you play the game, you are going to see that it has this merge component, right? And the merge component, usually it's associated with a bit more of a casual audience. At the same time, it has also some massive battles or the game has also massive battles and a, a CCRPG component, okay? So back in the days, there was a lot of creative tension internally into the team and externally on what type of the final direction should we prioritize, whether making a game that it was a bit more casual and merge, even though we always thought about a mid-core audience, right? But try to, from the mid-core, you know, let's say, oscillate a bit towards uh, as open as possible, make the game as open as possible, you know, and lean more on merge mechanics, or just use merge as an onboarding system, but transition into a more CCRPG game, more focused on more traditional mid-core, let's say, motivation. And at the beginning, there was some tension, but more or less a year ago, we gained consciousness, basically talking also about a lot of players. I mean, there was a couple of things that make us finally pivot towards, no, no, our roadmap and our features need to essentially serve CCRPG players. And there was two fundamental things that fueled this. One was that every time that we were releasing features addressed for this audience, the whole KPI set was improving. And the second one is that every time that we were talking to players through structured tests, longitudinal tests to capture their feedback or through chats, it was clear for us that even though we designed an experience 
trying to be as broad and open as possible in the top of the funnel, the players that were more engaged with the product, it was traditional CCRPG players. So that was a changing, important changing moment around 12 months ago when we realized, hey, that's what we need to do. We need to place our CCRPG audience and we are going to heavily invest on that. And since then, our roadmap has been, let's say, discussing a lot about, hey, what can we do better for this type of audience? We know that the game is great and we build it this way to attract a lot of players from the theme, from some mechanics and from some system design and UI UX. But down the road, the players that engage the most, it's CCRPG. So how can we do better, you know, for them? You know what I mean? This has been always the moment. But on last, and these we detected 12 months ago and the challenges on the metrics we also detected six months ago. And since then, it has been always building on top over and over and over. But the last two months, there has not been really something new. You know what I mean? The things that are working in the game, we knew it. And the challenges, we also knew it. And those are the ones that we are trying to address moving forward. It's interesting because I feel like if I would have taken the gamble on the guess in the beginning, I would have imagined more people from the casual side would probably be more engaged based on kind of gameplay habits. But it's interesting to hear that people who are doing the kind of the CCRPG stuff are, are the ones that are more in there and more more active. And something we do often that helps you just talk about segmentation and understanding who are your VIPs, who are this. Do you segment your players like can you tell what type of player they are based on their habits and kind of not label them but but categorize them under specific buckets we segment players based on um several dimensions one of these uh, i mean some of the dimensions based on in-game metrics uh, behavioral metrics and some others based on appear habits right but we don't put them levels you know what I mean? It's people that it's more engaged with battle and these type of things and others that are less engaged, things like that. Then, um, obviously, type of uh, type of uh, uh, peers. But we don't have that much segments, to be honest with you. We always talk about three, four segments much. That's, uh, I mean, as much as we do. So that's that's pretty much it. Having said that, though, we, we, we never saw ourselves as a let's say hardcore CCRPG game. You know, the we, we never created we never created troops to compete with best in class turn based RPG games, you know, with hardcore uh R setups and very deep system designs. That was not, you know, how do we want to position the the uh, top troops. The, the way that we want to position the top the top troops was was more mid-core to casual space into the male mid-core traditional audience. But again, you know, at the beginning, it was this creative tension between how much of casual or mid-core do we, do we need to be? And right now it's clear that, you know, the type of features that we need to build are more traditional CCRPG systems to serve this uh, audience. So taking a step away from kind of the conversation around top troops and more from your, your perspective as kind of game studio director is with the emergence of new AI technologies and just technologies in the marketplace, right? Are, are anything interesting to you and you digging more into that when you're thinking of your next game or the next update for Top Troops that you might want to incorporate new things or new objects into it using the latest technology? And maybe this is too vast of a question, right? Because it could go all over the place. But are, the things that, are there things that excite you about what's coming out in the marketplace? About AI, so far we have not found a way to... Apply direct value, you know, on on AI, on let's say feature creation or anticipation on risks. We are thinking as a studio to use AI on other areas, where eventually, you know, we can get some gains 
creatives. No, it's an area, you know, where we can get some gains. And we are looking into other areas, but we haven't found a use case into product management where it really has represented a radical step up. I mean, aside of the, let's say, productivity improvements eh, that we are already, you know, using AI for, you know what I mean? Aside of those ones, we haven't found something yet groundbreaking when it comes to A. We are going to stop doing what we are doing and start doing it this way through AI because that's the way that we are doing. But in efficiency and creation, especially on certain areas, we are exploring already in the studio, you know, to uh, use AI as a new tool to boost productivity. Yeah, that's what we've been hearing a lot, right? We don't want AI to replace anything, but to make things more efficient, make things more effective. Right. right? You can use that in the background to help simplify processes. And we're Cre hearing creatives. Creatives is an area where you can experiment. I mean, we haven't been doing yet a lot in the studio, but I know other studios that are starting to experiment a lot, you know, with uh, EA and creatives. Yeah, a lot of people don't want to talk about creatives and, and AI, but the truth is once the technology is out there, someone's going to start utilizing it. So how, how do yeah, we make sure yeah. we use it for our advantage to make sure that we enable? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, as you said, if the technology is older, I mean, it's, it's older for everyone, so... <laughs> So with the different roles that you had, I mean, most of them are around the product side of things, right? Mm -hmm. Is there something that you loved the most about what you did? Uh, that might just be, again, too vague of a question here, but are there are kind of these moments I remember waking up when I was in customer support. Like, I loved being able to see the number of count of tickets that I closed, right? Like, is there, uh, I don't even know the right proper question to ask here, so maybe we just don't do this, but is there something that stands out for you in your career and the kind of different things that you've done? There's some things that push me to wake me up in the morning, okay? One is see the impact on metrics of the things that you do. And that overall in product management, it's 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 quite interesting, but on gaming, it's, it's just insane. I mean, you released something yesterday and tomorrow, you know what I mean? You already have data that is telling you how everything is looking. And when, when you, uh, when things, when you really impact the metrics, it's great. And that's one of the things that I like the most, you know what I mean? This sense of, instant impact through your work that you have and the ability that gaming i mean uh gives you it's just insane so that's one thing the second thing it's really working with teams putting goals on them uh setting top down the strategy but enabling bottom up contribution initiative uh discussion etc etc that's also another thing that I like the most. And actually combining both, I really think that it's key for a, a manager into product management space to, to succeed. So those are the things that I like the most. You know? uh, impacting KPIs and second, you know, working with the teams to set goals, but enabling them bottom up to contribute to the overall strategy and empowering the teams to experiment, try and improve the metric, you know, through releasing stuff. When you're working with a large team like that, organization communication is something typically people say is one of the hardest things to do. So how do you keep those teams organized? Is it a JIRA? Is it a different tool that you guys are working through? The tool set is extremely simple. I would say that we do most of the things only using two tools. I would say three, which is Slack. We use a ton of the Slack Zoom suite. It's nowadays almost... Uh, well, basically for us, it's 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 mandatory. So a lot of communication, and you need to do it through these. Uh, second, it's uh, the the Drive Suite, the Google Drive Suite. We use it a lot 
a lot for everything. And the third thing is Jira. No? And we use it at different scales because obviously we have what we call high definition or low definition um, uh, files usually for a certain type of stakeholders or discussions then mid and low definition, right? So we adjust also the not only the visibility of the information that we are doing, but also a tool that we are using because it, it's not the same managing mm-hmm. day-to-day operations into a team that talking to a, let's say, portfolio-wide stakeholder and explaining, you know, what's the roadmap. So those are the three that tools that we use the most, but tools are only enablers. For us, what's critical, it's several things. First, over-communicate, especially because communicate alignment complexity grows exponentially with team size and the only way to compete this or fight this it's communication communication and communication that's the only way so make it as simple as possible as straight as possible and again complexity of alignment will scale with your team size it's not linear it's it's uh, exponential okay it's exponential so that's one second simple organizational design Okay, so create reporting lines and structures that simplify decision-making and accelerate this as much as possible and avoid conflicting agendas as much as possible, okay? Then the third, it's even though you communicate and you have a good organizational setup, create regular forums to make sure that everyone is in sync on the most important topics. So we have these forums at all level. We have constant game leadership things. We have pod things. We have the barman things, no? We have organizational things at two or three layers that are mandatory. And then we also have management things. That's hope- very, very important. I was hoping your third point would be over-communicate again, just to kind of nail that hammer in. But I, I love it. I, I, a lot of times I, I know people say, hey, why do they keep telling us this? Why do they keep telling us this? And something I'm bad at, and it's just good to know, is like over-communicate. P- people might get annoyed at you, but then if they get annoyed at you, at least they heard what you're saying. Especially um, on highly remote, I mean, we have transitioned since COVID, obviously, you know, into the into the model that is presenting new challenges. I mean, right now, most of the time we work remote versus in the office, which is fine, right? So in this scenario, you need to communicate even more than before. The, the, the thing, again, is that alignment and visibility complexity will exponentially scale with your team size. And the only way to fight this is communication over and over and over through regular channels, all sorts of channels all type of communication. So do it a lot of times. Annoy everyone. Just make sure you're heard. And I think that's fair. I think if remote work, you know, it has this this feeling that people aren't working their hardest, which I, I could disagree with, but it comes down to the person that you're you're dealing with and the type of employee that you have to over-communicate, right? That, that's what you got to do as a manager. That's what you got to do as a boss. Make sure you, people hear you. Before we go on, I'm pretty much asked most of my questions. I'm happy to keep a conversation going. Is there anything specific you want to talk about? No, I think that we cover most of the topics and I've been enjoying so far the discussion. Cool. So Ivan, I think that's all I had for you today. I was really excited and I, this lives up to my hype. I got to hear about a game that I play constantly, about the pre-launch, the launch, what's happening, kind of what you're looking at now. I think it's a really exciting thing and I think you're in an awesome position. Uh, as a numbers person, I'm jealous you get to look at all these statistics and analytics. I'm sure it's really cool being able to watch this stuff on a daily basis. Maybe it makes you go crazy, but before I let you go, is there anything else you want to just share with our listeners? No, but, uh, I encourage everyone that uh, uh, wants to try uh, 
uh, in the PM space to do it, no matter the type of skill set that they have, because you'll see that you find yourself, you know, at home in 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 the, in the product management vertical if you are uh, if you like uh, business and technology, because it's 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 a great bridge in between. Get your uh, think about your audience a lot. My advice for uh, games that are no IP is try to risk product market fit as fast as possible and understand from your audience as fast as possible and only complexify your production pipelines when some early risks are already out of the table. That could be my uh, recommendations. Awesome. Thank you, Ivan, for joining us today. This was insightful. We have a lot of cool nuggets that come from this, so I'm excited to share them. And we'll make sure to have all of Top Troops as well as Social Points information on our Player Engage uh, website as well as uh, some other content and marketing material. Ivan, thank you so much again for joining us. I hope you have a great rest of the day and best of luck with everything with Top Troops. I will continue to play and I hope other people do too. Thank you, Greg, for inviting me to the, uh, to the podcast. Sure thing.